sit back, relax, and take your foot off the gas, folks. It's time for .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers. I'm your host in New London, Connecticut, Carl Franklin, as always. Flying solo today, Mark Dunn is uh, up to his ears in exams. He's uh, taking certification exams this week. And uh, I caught up with him a little bit earlier last night, uh, a little bit later last night, earlier this morning, about 2 in the morning. And he says blood was dripping from his ears, so he is in no condition to uh, participate in the show today. But anyway, uh, we wish him well. And nothing really exciting happened in .NET land this week, so I guess I'll just go right ahead and introduce my guest. My guest today is Matthew Reynolds. He is an independent software development consultant specializing in .NET. He spends most of his time helping clients around the United Kingdom make the best of this technology. He's also the founder of .NET 247, one of the 15 Microsoft CodeWise community sites and co-author of a half dozen .NET books from the erstwhile Rocks Press, including v Beginning VB.NET and .NET Enterprise Development from Design to Deployment. Matthew, how are you doing today? Well, you are the uh, first United Kingdom, in fact, I believe the first European guest altogether. We did have a guest from, yeah, we had a guest from Peru, uh, but we haven't had any European guests as such. So congratulations. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. So how did you find, I mean, I got an email from you that, uh, you know, we might hook up. How did you uh, find out about the show and what we were doing over here? Um, well, I guess I found the show because I, I just recently started getting into uh, a lot of the .NET weblogs or blogs that have been going around, and someone had, had posted a link. And I had actually heard of you before because about six months ago I interviewed um, someone for a position for one of my clients, and he he basically used to say that he downloaded your show, burned you on CD, and listened to it listened to on the farm on the commute to work. So oh, cool. That's, I kind of knew of you, and then I found you through a link to, to a blog, and I did the same thing. I downloaded them all, and with them all, and you also changed my car, and I just tried to do it for a while. It seems to be a popular thing to do. Well, I want to talk about your site, .NET 247, first of all, because that's probably, Ooh. that and your books are, are the way people know you best. But um, yeah. i got to tell you, I stumbled across .NET 247 somehow. I don't remember how, but it didn't seem like it was uh, advertised very very much so, uh, but I always went back there because you have a really good forum index, which uh, which was very helpful to me for finding answers to things. Why don't you just give me a little bit of history about .NET 247 and what it is? Let's start with what people can find there on that site. Yeah, um, the, the, my original vision of the site was. When I first started getting into .NET, like a, like a lot of developers, I, I had a lot of experience with developing for Win32 and, and VB and all those and DNA, those kind of things. And I found that whenever I wanted to do anything in .NET, I just had no clue how to do it. It would be, I need to open a file, and I'd spend about half an hour trying to work out how to do that. And the original idea behind .NET 24-7 was that, you know, we all know by looking at the, at the framework class library that they've come up, most of them come up with a superb structure. But what I wanted to do was replicate that structure and get to a point where if I wanted to know how system.threading.thread works, I could just find it in the index and get a list of examples about how to use it. Um, that was the original vision for the site. And what happened is I turned the indexing, because originally it was designed to run off MSDN and other websites. And what happened is I turned it on its head and started downloading news groups and web-based message forums and running the spider and the indexing um, algorithm modes and linking those into the index. So the site became successful because it just allowed people to say, I need to know how this class works. And voila, you know, you'd be able to just go in there, look at the search engine, or more commonly find it through Google. And then you'd have you know, the, the message thread, the sort of single page, just explaining exactly how you do something. So while you were saying that, I went to the the namespaces section on the right-hand side of your page, and I clicked on system.threading, and then I got all the yeah. classes and other namespaces underneath that. 
and I click on yeah. System Threading Thread, and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven article links came up. One from Visual cool. Studio Magazine, looks like two from C Sharp Help, uh, one from yeah. C Sharp Today, one from MSTN Magazine, and one from C Sharp Corner. Yeah. That's pretty and awesome. Um, there's a, yeah, there's a discussions link on that, on that page you're on, and if you click on that, you can see um, you can see the threads that, that the spider has gone out and found on news groups and uh, the developmental uh, email lists and all those sort of things. Wow. And uh, yeah, and what we what it tries to do is it looks at the domain of the, of the people doing the posting in the thread, and if it picks up the um, that messages from certain domains from from people that you know the community would normally respect as knowing what they were talking about. It flags those messages as being of high relevance, and it moves those ones to the top. So, if right. someone from Microsoft has applied for a thread in a news group, they get filtered up above the ones on the top because there's more likely to be an answer, frankly, in there. Right. So, One of the most uh, frustrating things I've found when searching news groups is you you always find more questions than answers. You know, yeah, it's very difficult. Yeah. And there's another thing that it does: it won't index a message unless it's going to reply. So you oh, that's nice. Kind of, yeah. I mean, that happens to me all the time with Google Groups, and I'm looking for something. You know, it, it looks like someone's got the answer to the question, but what they've actually had is exactly the same question as me. Huh? So, yeah, it, it tends to work really well. It's that's very not good. Down to Google because it, yeah, I mean, Google does an amazing job of indexing stuff on the site, and then we just tap into the Google search engine to, to bring up the bring up the results. Hmm. Hmm. Wow, that's that's very good. I'm I'm very happy that this resource is out there. I've actually used it yeah. on a couple of occasions and found it very useful. Um, how yeah. are, are you? Are you keeping up with it? Um, uh, have you m had to modify things since version two thousand three of Visual Studio and Framework one one came out? Luckily enough, it kind of looks after itself. Um, okay. It, sure, because it has enough yeah. you're just indexing other stuff that's out there, and therefore... Yeah. Yeah, okay. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there, there's certain things in there that will pick up, like it picks up um, if there's a library that comes out that I want to index on the site, like um, the Microsoft ADDC and Microsoft Oracle data providers, then we... Just basically, the spider will just find those assemblies on disk, use reflection to find out what they look like, and then start indexing uh, according to those new assemblies that it knows about. Plus, it will also look, it looks at the names of news groups that it finds, you know, it makes assumptions as to whether ones are going to be .NET centric. So, if Microsoft put out some new news groups on some new .NET news groups, right. then they automatically get spidered in as well. So, you basically wrote the spider, and uh, that's, that's yeah. the main heart of this site. That's fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. How many, uh, what's your traffic like? Um, last time I checked, I, I don't check it that often. Um, it was about forty to 50,000 unique visitors, unique developers a month. And I think it was about 2 million page impressions a month. Wow. Fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. And I hope you stick yeah. around. How how is this being funded? Uh, I know I don't know if you remember Carl and Gary's VB homepage. That was mine, but uh, we had a problem because there was no model to pay for it, and uh, it was all based on volunteer efforts. And uh, yeah. of course, these things aren't really profitable. You really have to do them because you love to do them. But uh, how yeah. how is it being paid um, for? It's it's not profitable, but it's not that expensive. Um, it's, I don't lose it. There was a time when I needed to spend a lot of, uh, a lot of time. I could be out earning money as a consultant, um, maintaining the site, but those days are more or less gone. So I don't, I don't have to spend as much time on it as I otherwise would do. Do your sponsors... Um, and the host... Hmm? I was just going to ask if your sponsors actually cover the bandwidth bills or... Or not? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, that's pretty good. It, it's not that it's not that high bandwidth. It's not like you guys have got forty meg. That's true. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Text is pretty. Um, yeah, good. So, tell me about your consulting business. What's that like? Uh, what's consulting like in the UK? 
And what's it? What was it like? And what's it like now? <laughs> oh, um, I couldn't really tell you what it's like in the UK because although I lived in Arizona for like, nearly three years, but I didn't do any consulting, so I don't know what consulting is like in the states. No, no, no. Um, I, uh, I I meant in the United Kingdom. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess what happens to me is that a client will find me because they have a you know, particular problem or particular need. Like one of my one of my clients I've done a lot of work for we just just wanted to completely greenfield their entire um product line. They do an off the shelf um facility management package. Um and they wanted to greenfield the whole lot and start again. And so they brought me in to help me design that. Um I've got another client who brought me in to solve some particular problems with some exchange integration with some dynamic development they were doing. And they ended up just completely greenfielding another project that I got involved with there as well. So it it just tends to be that people buy me, I turn up and try and teach them how best to use what there. And it depends. Sometimes I I end up writing a lot of code for them. Other times I don't write quite so much code for them, and I end up doing more um, architectural or procedural stuff. Like one of my clients, I've just spent nearly two months designing a build and deployment. Uh, arrangement for them for .NET, so I haven't been doing wow. any coding for them at all. It's just it's working out how to have a particularly strange requirement. Right. Um, so, so I've spent a lot of time doing that. It's very varied work. It's very exciting. There's a lot of traveling, which is a bit, a bit taxing. So where do um, your where do your customers span in terms of their location? Um, well, the UK is tiny compared to the States, so I mean, I've got one client that's about 100 miles round trip, um, but that gets me most of the way over one side of England, and I've got another client who's about 150 miles round trip, and that gets me most of the way over the other side. So <laughs> it tends to be like shuffle between the, the west and the east of England all the time. Luckily, I live in the middle. So right, okay. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm also looking on the on the front page of .NET 24-7 in... And we have the latest Microsoft knowledge base articles for .NET Framework SDK, including bugs and mm. how-tos. That's pretty cool. I mean, it's good to see that. You know, sort of a some people wake up in the morning and they look at the Wall Street Journal, and other people wake up and they <laughs> look at the top bugs that have been reported and try yeah. to keep on top I can't of them. Take credit for that. I can't take credit for that bit of the page because I actually I'm consuming a web service from a website called mykb.com. Very cool. What's it called? What's it called, Matthew? MyKB.com. MyKB. A little image. Oh, yeah, yeah. MyKB.com. KB Alerts, it says. KB Alerts, sorry, yeah. KB Alerts, it's exactly what I mean. Very cool. So that's a great site. Well, as you can see, they've got a web service and some server control widgets that you can just use to consume feeds from their site. So that's rather good. from the Franklin Brothers. At least that's what we're working on. You can only hear it here. It's a sneak preview of our next album. Anyway, that's not what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about the uh, VB.net Connections Tour and ASP.net Connections Tour. Paul Litwin and myself are putting this on. Uh, Rob Howard from Microsoft is going to do a keynote. It's two days in Washington, D.C., July 31st through August 1st. Paul's doing an ASP.net centric track and I'm doing a VB.net centric track. Uh, one of the things that uh, I'm going to be talking about is creating and distributing an N-tier application in a day. So we're going to do a real working N-tier application in front of your eyes in a whole day. 
The next day, I'm going to talk about object-oriented programming, GDI+, exploring the data adapter, asynchronous programming and threading, and auto-deployment. And of course, there's all sorts of great ADO.NET and C-Sharp and ASP.NET topics as well. Go to www.devconnections.com tour for more details. And I hope to see you in Washington, D.C. Uh, now let's get back to our talk with Matthew Reynolds right here on .NET Rocks where I ask him, what is the VB versus C-Sharp thing all about anyway? Don't you go away, folks. So what is your language of preference these days? Ah, uh, yes. The language of preference. <laughs> um, you knew I had to ask you that. <laughs> yeah, you, I, I, I know you knew I had to ask you that. I, I think when .NET originally came out, I, I'd had a bit of a, I'd a history which had taken me from being a C developer to a C++ developer. And then oddly enough to a VB developer, because I was doing a lot of Windows DNA work with VB6 components running inside of ASP. And when I first started getting into .NET, I stuck with the, with the VB route and went to VB.NET. And for a very long time, I was a really strong advocate of the fact that with .NET, the language doesn't actually matter from a technical perspective at all. And that you can generate equivalent code in equivalent amounts of time, whether you choose one language or another. Performance-wise, basically. Yeah, performance-wise. Yeah. And, you know, I actually quite like the fact that VB.net isn't, um, isn't case-sensitive. But the reality is, is um, this has changed a lot in the past couple of years. Because when, when .NET first came out, everyone knew that C-sharp was was where .NET was at. C-sharp was the professional development environment for .NET. All the code samples were in, uh, were in C-sharp. All of the message discussions were in C-sharp. Everyone spoke about the fact that C-sharp was huge and VB.NET wasn't going to be as important. And I've really got to stress that I think VB is a, is a great language and I really don't think it matters which one you choose from a technical perspective that I am completely committed to C-sharp now. Okay. Um, Fair enough. And I've been committed to C-sharp for a while. But I can tell you a little bit about why, if you like. Yeah, I'd like to hear that. I'm sure everybody else would, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, the first problem that we have is I've, I've got one of my big clients who's done a lot of coding in, in official basic, in VB.net, and they're stuck in a situation where they have to use VS.net 2002. They can't move to 2003. And on large VB.NET projects, the environment just grinds to a halt because VB.NET has this thing which CSMOD doesn't, which is where it tries to help VB developers by passing the code, scanning the code, trying to find errors. Background compiling. Gets, it's background, background compiling, compiling, yeah. 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 The bigger your project gets, the more time it spends doing background compiling. And eventually it just grinds to a halt. Uh, we've got one solution. Um, in, in this larger project that we're, we're, we're working on, that literally you press return because you want to enter a new, you need to add a new line, and you have to wait 30 seconds for the cursor to come back. What kind of machines are you and running this on? Um, that would be a P42 gig with a gig of RAM. Wow. Yeah. Um, it's it's a problem that I have with because the .NET 24/7 Spider is all written in VB, and I have similar problems with that. So there's, there's that issue. There's a technical, the technical issues with VS 2002 and largely VB.NET projects, which is a shame. Can you not um, turn off background compiling in Visual Studio.NET? We went back and forward with the Microsoft support team in the UK about this, and they eventually admitted it was a bug. Really? Um, and yeah, and I'm did they, did they fix it in? Did they fix it in 2003? I haven't investigated as much in 2003. They said that they were. Then they said that they weren't. Hmm. Um, and I haven't actually, I must admit, I haven't even tried moving over because these guys had, they they got locked into a problem and I don't know if anyone else right. out there in .NET had this problem. But it was so difficult to convince my client, it's so difficult for them to convince their customers to install the framework on their boxes that they literally 
they, their customers are refusing to install the, the 1.1 bits on their machine, so they can't actually move to, to 2003 .NET 1.1. I haven't, I haven't so come across stuff. that. Yeah, um, I don't know if it's just a peculiarity of this one client. I, I don't really understand it myself, but, you know, just part of being a consultant, you get given what you get given to work with. Well, you know, in, um, in some sense, Matthew, there's a lot of uh, baggage you know, that people have yeah. associated with problems that we had with older systems and uh, yeah. that people are just afraid to install anything system-wise, you know, uh, when in fact, yeah. we, you know, when in fact those are problems of the past. Yeah. Well, oh, I, I completely think that they, they are absolutely problems of the past. They still remember, though. The, yeah, I mean, probably, I don't want to be saying like I'm playing down like that, not giving .NET a fair go, actually, because I love the technology. I think it's incredible. Um, but there, there are you. You will find that in some larger enterprise organisations, which is where, which is where my clients' customers are, they they just resist because they've had they've had horrible problems in the past because because the old my old Microsoft technology has behaved in a way that .NET doesn't. It's, it's not hell. a problem to have the one bits and the one one bits. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on the machine, so. Um, yeah, okay. Unfortunate, yeah, it, but, you know, you can expect it to one extent, but uh, it's unfortunate because, I don't know, we're preaching to the choir yeah. here, I think. Anyway. Yeah, I think we probably are. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone all over that. So what do you think about this, uh, you know, sem semi-war that's raging in the United States about, uh, you know, moving VB programmers over to C-sharp and telling them that they're going to make more money and all this kind of stuff? Oh, yeah, this, this was fun. Um, I, did, um, I did a keynote uh, at, at the .NET Exchange Conference, which was held at Microsoft headquarters in the UK a couple of weeks ago. And my keynote was, some of the information on that was drawn from the Visual Studio magazine salary survey they did, where they went out and discovered that on average in, in the U.S., Developers can earn a hundred grand a year, or a hundred thousand a year, being a C sharp developer, and they can only earn seventy-two grand a year being a VB.NET developer. How much is that? Or they can earn seventy-two thousand. Seventy-two. Okay. Yeah, um, it's all on the on the Visual Studio magazine site. Oh right. Well, um, oh, that's what they said. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so that's what they said. Uh, There's part of the survey they did. I, I, I thought, wow, that's a bit, you know, that's a bit surprising, but. There's this $28,000 um, variance between a VB.NET and a C-Sharp developer. And, you know, realistically, it, you have to learn the same to go from, go from where you are for VB or to go from where you are for C-Sharp. Um, what was particularly disturbing about this, though, is that VB6 developers earned more or less just about $72,000 a year as well. So if you were finding that a VB6 developer that moves to VB.NET, actually in the market is only isn't actually getting any more money. They're not getting rewarded for all this work that they've done. And this 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 new understanding that they have to have to be an effective VB .NET developer to be an effective .NET developer. Okay. So that's um that's a real shame. That that's, that's I, what I, I have tend a, to yeah. yeah. I have another theory about I mean, this. My, oh, yeah. My theory is that uh since most C based programmers come through uh, have come through educational systems to learn computer science and programming most of them not all of them but most of them they tend to have more of a, an education whereas VB programmers have basically come from a problem-solving top-down approach um, when when they were in such high demand people who weren't even programmers became programmers in Visual Basic there are yeah. still there are still lots of VB programmers out there that are edu well educated and that understand VB's limitations, and then they get around that by using C plus plus or by using third party tools or you know tools like Spyworks, and and those are the guys I think that this does not apply to. I think that your yeah. your VB programmer. Your average VB, I won't say average, I don't know anything about average VB programmers, but there's a whole handful of them out there that came up either through VBA or, you know, 
or no programming experience right into, you know, there's a lot of them that don't know what a data type is or, do you know what I'm saying? Or, or learned how to write a for next loop before they knew what an integer was. And nothing wrong with that. It's just that, it's just that there are more of those people out there in the market than there are the, the educated VB and C sharp programmers. There's less C sharp programmers and therefore there's more of a demand for C sharp programmers. Do you see what I'm saying? So. I, yeah, I, I do completely agree with you. I, I think I think my my push really is to say it, it's more or less for people like me um, because I, I am I, I am a really good .NET developer, but I was in the I was in the VB.NET camp. But the, the thing is, if you after if you're a good developer and you want to be a professional developer and work on really interesting projects and and the um, and, and you are the kind of, you know, the kind of person who would listen to this show for someone who's actually really interested in the technology over and above the fact it's, it's, it's not a nine-to-five job. There's, there's some geek factor in there where this stuff is really cool and you want to use it. I don't think those sorts of people should be sticking with VB. I think they should be moving to C-sharp. I totally disagree, but uh, my, my thought is that, my thought is that I believe that Visual Basic programmers that understand .NET and understand the framework can be more productive than C-sharp programmers and more focused on business applications and solving problems than, than um, and, and I, I'm maybe a gross understatement, it's just the way I feel. Uh, and, and, and probably, probably too, um, there's something to this that it depends on who you are, right? If you're the kind of programmer who can easily pick up new languages and new technologies and you you know you have a resume that has several languages and it's no skin off your nose to learn another one and get comfortable with it that's a that's good maybe you should go to c sharp but if you think in vb which a lot of people do you know and in c sharp just doesn't work for you you're going to be more productive in visual basic.net i suppose it also comes down to your job i mean if you if you're on a VB team and the software is written in VB, guess what? Mm. You know, so. Mm. Yeah, actually, one of my clients is a mixed mixed environment now. Um, they had some VB stuff and sorry, some VB.net stuff, and now they're doing some C sharp stuff. So we, we've got a few developers there who are, who are quite happy switching between the two. Yeah, um, we've got solutions which have got some VB code in, some C sharp code in. Um, and so the projects are all mixed in together in different languages, and it's, it's working really well. It's, it's a bit of a, it's a pain when you end up flipping to um, when you end up flipping to the VB projects and there's larger projects, and then the, the environment starts slowing down, especially because the C sharp environment just doesn't doesn't care at all about how big the how big these projects are. It's only VB that really gets stressed out by it. Well, I got to um, say, I do. I use both languages too. I've done I've done yeah. some components in C sharp when I needed to do them in C sharp. Um, but when I'm when I'm building uh, applications, I always start in VB. And if there's something that I need C sharp for, I'll use it. But uh, that works really well for me. Yeah, I mean the, the way the way you're approaching this is really is, is what I thought is what I really believed in about .NET to start with. You know, it was kind of like, well, I'm really comfortable with VB. I can use this this project really efficient. Oh, sorry, I can use this language really efficiently. I know my way around it. I'm really, really comfortable with it. Um, so I can do it in VB and that's fine because the code I'm going to get at the end is going to be using all the same framework bits that my, my buddy who does through Sharp does. I'm going to be able to consume the same web services, talk to the same data sources. My code's going to be of a similar size. It's going to have similar performance. And I think that's a great benefit for development teams that will now be able to work closer together. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's I think it's brilliant what they've done. I think the, the genius of it was putting was putting all this really clever little bits into the framework that they were just equally accessible from everywhere. It just it was a complete about well, it wasn't a complete about face. It was a complete tidying up effort from Microsoft because um, the, the old technologies, you know, you had things like. One language would use would be geared up to use a certain data access certain data access components. Another language would be better using another one. And right. you know there wasn't this this lovely homogeneity that you have now because you have to be .NET, which um, 
which I, I mean, is where all the power is. .net, .net in, in and of itself is powerful. I mean, the language, the language you use is is more insignificant. Yeah, mostly not relevant. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree, and I and I I, I rail against what I call uh, '90s thinking, which is you know, using one language over another or a technology or even a programming technique that will squeeze another nanosecond out of our program. But it's going to take us, it's going to take us a week and a half to develop it in this way, whereas we could just use this yeah. one statement here and be done with it. And, uh, yeah. you know, we don't need to fight those battles anymore, largely, if we're using uh, today's hardware. Um, I'm not advocating sloppy code. I'm just saying, what's more important, productivity or nanoseconds, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's what I get, I get pushed about all the time, is uh, I'm forever suggesting multiple projects or problems to a client, and the one they choose is the one that's cheapest, and the one that's cheapest is the one that they can knock out quickest. Right. Um, my job is not is trying to take some things which aren't going to cause them serious problems, Um and more my job is, is, a, is a consultant's role. You know, I, I, I can't take them find solutions, one of which they can do in a day, but which will fall over and knock them in and fall over in six months. Um, but they, they always, they always err on the side of cost. They always want these solutions to be cheap and effective. And that's why, that's why .NET is an easy selling to these companies, actually. Because it's you economic. Say, yeah. yeah, you can say, look, you can you can build this solution in less time, and you can build this solution in less time because you've got this incredibly powerful framework that reduces the amount of code you have to you have to write. There's that's, all these small algorithm building blocks. That's just it. It's yeah. not that you can just do it in less time. It's that you can do a better program in less time. Yeah, sure. It's good yeah, stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, and it's also much much more fun. I mean. It, <laughs> It's not necessarily important to, to, to my clients, but it, it's, it's very important to me. And before I got into .NET, I mean, I've been writing computer software since I was a kid, um, and I've, I've always loved it, and I kind of just got fed up in the end. I just seemed to be continually doing really samey things. Um, you know, I ended up getting out of Win32 development because it was very samey, and I kept having to re-engineer the same kind of linked list classes and all these kind of things. Debugging is a nightmare. Yeah, moving to ASP and ended up with more or less the same thing. And then you come along to .NET and it's like, oh, wow, they've finally given me all this stuff that I can use to, you know, I can bolt together to make these really great implementations. But I no longer have to worry about sorting, an, uh, sorting a dynamic array because I've got a class there that does it. Um, yeah. So I've got really great interfaces and other, you know, you can tell them. The key, and, the key and, just becomes finding the class that does the sorting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting because um, I wanted to um, come up with a list of the. I'm a great believer in the eighty twenty rule. You know that, and I believe that twenty percent of the classes in the framework will give you eighty percent of the functionality you needed. Amen, brother. And yeah, I spent. What I did is I had loads and loads of code on my machine. I got all of the all of the code that I could get hold of. And I use the .NET 24-7 Spider to actually make a, a top, well, the top 20% of the classes list that you would actually need to use. And, and I can't remember the results because it wasn't actually, there isn't this, this shopping list in .NET. You can't go to a developer and say, there are some classes that they need to understand, but largely there's so many useful classes in the framework. I just don't think the AP20 rule applies. I think to, to really know your way around the framework, you have to play around with with all sorts of different bits and pieces. Um, I mean, there's classes in there that I don't that I don't touch, and there's, there's whole namespaces usually that I won't touch. Yeah. But there isn't. Yeah, you, you do need to. This is one of the things about .NET is you need to know your way around. But luckily, because they kind of started from scratch, it's logical. So once you know, uh, once you know how to use a stream to read a file, you then know how to use a stream to read a download from a website, or you yeah. know how to use a, a, a memory stream. To I love streams. Stream data. I, I don't know how yeah. you feel about yeah. streams, but I love streams. <laughs> oh, they're, they're brilliant. You know, the, the, the stream writers and the, and the streams and just being able to... Yeah, at first I 
I was going to say, at, fir at first I saw those stream readers and writers and file stream and this stream and that stream, and I thought, what an incredible waste of, uh, you know, a lot of different classes. But the the little subtleties in between these readers and writers and, and stream objects is, is really brilliant. And you can pinpoint exactly what you need and and yeah. use it. Uh, yeah, I love streams. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's amazingly flexible and all, all that, that. I mean, it, it's just... For things which were a real problem in .NET, uh, sorry, before .NET, just go away. Like the, the classic, talking about streams, the one that really springs to mind is needing to store a, needing to store a credit card number in a database. You know, I've got a string object which has got a credit card number in it. Now, somehow, I need to get that into a byte array from the database. So I'm, I'm having to use system encoding to get a load of bytes, write it into memory stream, then take that memory stream out and use it against a cryptography stream. Or they probably haven't got in the right order. But, you know, the, the streams and the readers and writers and the encoding just makes it so easy just to do these kind of manipulations, which was just a nightmare. Right, right. Putting these little technologies yeah. together to, to, to do something yeah. great. So I'm looking around the MSDN website looking for something to talk about here and, and something jumps out at me right away. You know how MSDN, uh, their magazine website, they always have a sneak preview of the next issue and with an article that uh, hasn't been published in print yet? Well, they have one for the August issue written by Paul Litwin called Jumpstart Your Website Development with the ASP.NET Starter Kits. And this article is all about uh, these starter kits that are available at www.asp.net, which have been written as plug-and-play websites. And there's one for portals, there's one for uh, communities, there's one for commerce, there's one for reporting, there's a time tracker starter kit. And these are basically ASP.net websites with source code that you can just download and use. Uh, go to www.asp.net for the starter kits and absolutely, absolutely read this article at msdn.microsoft.com slash msdnmag. All right, now let's get back to our talk with Matthew Reynolds where I ask him about his books. And uh, you'll be surprised at the books that this guy has written and the book he is about to write, which I personally can't wait to read. Right here on .NET Rocks. Don't you go away. Let's talk about your books, Matthew. Let's. Uh, okay. You say you've written about a half a dozen books for rocks. What are some of the titles? Yeah, I'm embarrassed to say I actually had to go and look them up on Amazon before doing the show. <laughs> um, I, I I was very lucky with rocks because um, they gave me they needed .NET developers, they needed .NET experience and content, and they managed to get me into a position where I had the um, the pre-drop alpha program in Visual Studio 2002 before it was released, so I was getting, you know, the CDs direct from Redmond with, um, with the new bits on it before the beaters were released. So they gave me all these opportunities to write books and write content for ASP today and C-sharp today. Um, and I wouldn't be the .NET developer I am today if I hadn't had that opportunity, actually. I'm quite grateful for them. Um, grateful to them for letting me do that. So, you know, I've done loads of books for them. I've done but rocks were a classic for this multi-author thing, so I'm on loads of different books. It's like I'm on professional VB.net, beginning VB.net, um, even professional beginning C-sharp, can't quite remember. I uh, did a book with a guy called Carly Watson called .NET Enterprise Development from Design to Deployment. And he rocks long and hard to let me do a, um, let me do it, write it in VB and then have it converted to C-sharp. So the same book would be released with different code samples in Oh, that's cool. I was really trying to point out. Yeah, I was really trying to point out that you could build the same solution in BB or C Sharp. I mean, I railed against Rocks for ages trying to convince them. I, I kept wondering why they would release a book called ASP.NET Web Services with VB.NET. Like, well, why don't we just release ASP.NET Web Services and do two versions? You know, have a little flag in the corner that says it in C Sharp or VB. Um, yeah. yeah, we've taken the. 
We've taken the same approach at uh, Dev Connections, the conference which I'm involved in. And this uh, right. this next Dev Connections, it's coming up in Palm Springs, in the Visual Studio Connections conference, where uh, everybody is providing demos and source code in both VB and C Sharp. So no matter which, uh, no matter which speaker you go and see, you're going to see a mix yeah. of VB and C Sharp, and you're going to get the, the demo code in both. That's kind of yeah. cool. Yeah, that's really good. We kind of bring something about the day all day first-class language or equal-class languages in, in the framework. Um, yep. So I've got loads of books for rocks, and rocks are no more, unfortunately, um, which can I assume that everyone listening to the show knows about what happened to rocks? Yeah, we, we've talked about it um, on the show before. The parent company went bankrupt, and uh, I guess Wiley has some titles, and A-Press has some titles. Do you know which company has yours? Uh, um, Wiley... Oh, because Wiley bought, I think, Zeg VB, Pro VB, sorry, Beginning VB and Professional VB, and the C Sharp titles and a few others. Um, and Apex has got all the others. So, yeah. Um, okay. And I can't quite remember what's happening to them at the moment, but they'll, they'll be coming back. Some titles that, that Apex aren't going to be publishing, so... I don't quite know what's happening with those. Hmm. You are writing a new book now, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm really excited about it, actually, because it's, it's a book that I've wanted to write for a long time. And I'm just finishing negotiations with the publisher, and I can't really talk about, um, I can't really talk about how or who's going to be releasing it. But it's, um, it's a really interesting book. It's based on my experience of being a .NET consultant over the past couple of years. And it looks in three sections. The first section is all about some common design patterns and approaches that work when developing large enterprise distributed .NET applications. So things like engine class collection models, strongly componentized stuff, all that kind of bits and pieces. The second part of the book is all about practically implementing some of those approaches. So it's how we build, um, how we build a data access layer which exposes it's data using engine class collection pattern, um, how we do no-touch deployment, how we push out the framework onto machines, how we implement a security, um, how we do all the security so that your code is going to run properly in an enterprise environment. Wow, that's so great. These kind of things that, yeah, it, it's going to be a really, really exciting book. I'm really looking forward to writing it. Um, the last part of the book is all is about it's designed for software companies that have difficulty with process. So software companies that kind of think, oh, we need to do have some form of code review structure that we're a bit scared of it, or we need to do some URL, but no one here really knows how to use it. Huh. The last third of the book is, um, is process that shouldn't scare too many people. So it's, it's enough process to be valuable and to kind of edge in the idea of going down a more process-centric route in the software development. This is not the kind of thing that, that is, most of you developers, most of you pivot is designed. It's not necessarily supposed to be senior developer level, so it's not supposed to be the kind of processes that you put in place and then all of your, all of your peers in the company decide that they'll do it for a week and then just stop. It's supposed to be useful things that that kind of will, will organically lead to, to better processes within a company. Right. Huh. Um, That's yeah, great. I got to. Yeah, I got to tell you, I'm 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 really looking forward to reading that. I I have a strong emphasis in my classes on practical, uh, not only practical architecture but practical implementation. And um, yeah. uh, it's one of the complaints that I have about a lot of the material that's out there is it's very conceptual and academic, and and the you know the examples aren't really applicable but uh yeah. but that's great i i can't wait to see that yeah it's supposed to be um it's supposed to be a very very practical book it's supposed to be full of practical useful advice it's, it's not supposed to be a kind of like a really hard to get your head around academic book and also it definitely is not kind of an artificial example kind of book great um it's actually quite difficult not writing an artificial example kind of book because you, you do get very restricted by the format you've written enough books and I'm trying to kind of realise that, that the reason why you end up with very simple examples in books is, is because of space 
um, it's very hard to kind of say, you know, here's a hundred thousand lines of code. Now let's look sure. At well, I like con yeah, I like concise examples. Very, you know, easy to understand examples, but they should also not encourage, you know, uh, and and examples come with implications, right? They come with implications yeah. that oh, this is how I should be doing things, and if you don't at least disclaim them and say, you know, this isn't a good example of a best practice of anything, this is a fundamental, you know, example yeah. for for its, for its own sake. You find that people will will take it as a, as a model for how they should write their software. Yeah. So you do you think this is going to be a large book? How many pages do you expect it to be? Um, many pages I think it's what do you think about publishing in general um, of technical books? I know that back in the days of VB3, VB4, you know, is when publishers were really beginning to say, hey, you know, this... Uh, programming book market is pretty awesome we might, might we have to jump in and since then there's been a steady stream of more and more and more publishers getting into it and uh now with .net um maybe a little bit over overzealously uh there are more titles than there are demand for them <laughs> i that's what i think and i also think that writing a book these days is something that a lot of people do to uh put on their resume do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And not necessarily because they're the right people to write the book. And so, you know, readers of books have gotten more skeptical and have gotten more picky about which books that they read. And I don't know. What do you think about the publishing Ooh. model in general for technical information? Oh, yeah. I, I, think, I think you're getting a bit controversial. Um, well, that's good, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good as well. I, I think you're right. Um, knowing, knowing how close I've been to the... To the the publishing industry, um, it's there is a lot of pressure on publishers to come up with content, and it does get to a point where if if you want to write a book, you can pretty much find a publisher who's going to let you do it. Um, right. There are, the market largely decides books which are really worth reading and authors which are really worth reading. So. Um, it can be quite difficult to find the kind of content you want that's out there. But that's part of learning about a technology. Um, and learning about a software development technology these days is all about the community. And the books are part of that community insofar as books tend to be a very good repository of ideas and examples. And you'll find that the community will start talking about a book. There'll be there'll be a buzz about a book or certain titles which will get pushed out into the into the community and people will start talking about them. But largely it's about how the community is, is what lets people find out about technologies. It lets people get excited about technologies and yes. find answers that people need. Yes. Um, I don't necessarily want to read a thousand pages to find out how to do assembly redirection yes. in um, in, you know, in, when I'm when I'm doing uh, run, sorry, file. my assembly being loaded at runtime. Yeah. Right. What I want to do is something like Google and find out. <laughs> um, and I think we're coming up for because this happens in phases. What what's happened with the community at the moment is Microsoft spent a long time very inward facing doing .NET. And when they started to get to a point where they were alphaing it, they would go to a little bit of a community, a few people and say, can you guys go and build a community around this? We're going to give you these cool tools. We think you're going to like them. If you like them, can you start talking about them? But you can't talk about them to everybody yet because we're still keeping it secret. Then they release a beta and they go out to these people and say, okay, now you can start talking to a few more people. And the community starts building. So authors might... In my situation, I think I was fairly unusual in that I was an author working on .NET who chose to write a website, uh, build a website on .NET that had built the community up. And 
And when I was learning about .NET, it was all about discussion groups. It was, I got all my information from discussion groups on .NET. And you think about it, if you're trying to write a book, if you're that far ahead of the field, then there aren't many books out there that you can learn from. You have to learn from your peers who are other authors are the very early adopters. Yes. What Microsoft are doing now is they've gone very in with facing again because they're working on .NET, the next version of .NET. So by the time we'd be a newcom start coming out there and they start talking to people and saying, can you now build a community about this? I'm actually thinking that, that a really big thing that's going to come along is weblogs. So I'm not quite sure how this is going to work yet. I think when people are trying to learn about what .NET and would be and Yukon are all about, it's going to be mainly about weblogging um, and mm. about some discussion groups that are going to be very popular as well and some community sites will come out of it. Um, and I think the books are largely going to, hopefully, they'll end up looking like best practice. So there'll be people who have looked at the community, really understand how the technology is working, <clears> working <throat> and then kind of come up with, well, this is the best stuff that i found from the community, and here's my thousand pages of how I think you should do this in .NET based yeah. on what the community, the whole thing. Wow, that's very, so I, I that's think, very cool. Yeah, I think that's where it's going to go. So you're a big fan of weblogs. Yeah, I think it's going rather late. I remember years ago, I was in a meeting with someone who kept going on about weblogs and how they were going to be the, the biggest thing on earth. And I've largely resisted it because I feel that I don't have enough time to maintain a weblog um, or keep a weblog going. And I recently, uh, perhaps three weeks ago, started one www.asp.net forward slash M Reynolds. And there's loads of, not www.asp.net, it's weblogs.asp.net. Okay. Um, we'll provide a link to that. If you, yeah, if you go to weblogs.asp.net, there's hundreds of them up there. Okay. Um, and the .net team have got them as well. So my weblog's up there, and I use a tool called Sharp Reader, um, which I'll give you a link for as well, that is an RSS aggregator for aggregate feeds from weblogs. So I get to subscribe to Don Box's weblog and web from people inside Microsoft and people from the community who have got something, who usually have something very interesting to say. Yeah. So I'm finding now that I've learned more about .NET in the past month using weblogs than I have in the past six months, just using the other tools that are around. Wow. So they are, they are going to be huge. They wow. really are going to be absolutely massive. Um, I guess you know weblog. I think I think weblogs are good for finding aggregate information and to find and to taking the pulse of the community, but there are some yeah. really technical issues that you need to find, and you need to find answers when you need them, and in the format that you need yeah. them. And uh, for that, for that, I don't think the books are really are really doing it. And I, I'm thinking that publishing technical information is morphing into a more Ooh. sort of um, just-in-time approach to to yeah. learning. I need to know this. Yeah. I want to go find that and and have somebody explain it to me that knows what they're talking about. So I don't yeah. know what I don't know if blogs. If you think blogs will will fill that need, but uh, I mean your I your site is a really... your site is a good example yeah. of of just-in-time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I use it for just-in-time stuff. I'll, I'll go into it and click and search off because I need to know how to do something. And, and usually someone, it, it all works on someone else having a problem, having a discussion with someone about how to solve the problem and you've recorded the discussion. So it's the same thing. It's, it's this just-in-time thing that you're, you're talking about. It's just that rather than you and I having a discussion about how to solve something, what we're doing is we're looking at a transcript of someone else having that same discussion. Yes. Um, and that's how message Assuming well, that uh, people who have the blogs out there uh, know what they're talking about, <laughs> I mean, you always have that problem. Well, that's the problem, really, because if, you, if you're using something like SharpReader or another RSS aggregator, and if you're a .NET developer, you're going to use SharpReader because it's not that cool. Um, you can, if someone's, if you're reading someone's feed, and if they haven't said anything interesting, you just turn them off, you stop listening to them. Um, but the thing is, if someone links to someone and they've got something interesting to say, you add their feed to your, to your what's called a blog well for a while. Huh. Um, and then you list, they've got something interesting to say, and you keep them on the list, and if they haven't, then you cut them off. So you can build up 
just by using it, you can build up a very interesting list of people who have something relevant to say to you. And if you the thing that something relevant to say to you, it's usually the kind of problem that you're trying to solve. Huh. So if you're lucky enough to have a photographic memory, then <laughs> you can remember everything that was on there. Otherwise, you have to rely on what I rely on, which is, you know, I'm sure I read something about um, calling a method in another app domain in someone's blog so I can go through and just look at the history of entries that I've read and say, okay, there it is. Very, br- very good. What I would think. Yeah, then what I do is add it to my blog so that more or less so I can find it again, actually. My blog tends to be um, not things that I necessarily think to be interesting to other people. They're bits, I record what I've used so that I can find it again if I need to remember how to do it. Huh. Well, that's yeah. great. Yeah, so I think that's going to be especially when, especially when all the stuff about the next version of .NET starts coming out and, and people go back to bring it back and not knowing how it works again. So you did... Be learning like crazy. Yeah, you did mention Widby. What do you, uh, yeah. what do you, what do you think? I mean, I haven't heard much about it, about it and uh, even if I did, I probably would be shot for saying anything I know, so uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm looking forward to it as well. Um, you know, I've been, I've been a little bit disappointed over this past year because Microsoft, since, you know, since the retail release of the S2002, they've been a bit quiet. Um, but I'm not surprised because they're working on cool stuff that they're going to be giving us real soon now. So right. I haven't, um, I'm not in a position to really talk about what I think it would be or what I think of Newcom. Um, only that they're going to be the next really important thing I need to understand and learn a living out of. So. Yeah, um, yeah. And also they to play with loads of really cool stuff. And there's loads of opportunities out there as well. You know, I it's, do. It's the technology so. Yeah, I do know that Microsoft is pretty much committed to having a new version every year. Can you believe that? Mm. Once a year, yeah. new versions of uh, new versions of Visual Studio, new versions of the framework. What do you think mm. about that? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, well, I hope they do because you know we need the, the software industry doesn't stop, so we need we need the tools that Microsoft are going to give us and other people are going to give us. Um, we need to, we need new things. We need new ways of doing things. We need them to come up with things like um, generics and partial classes, stuff which people know. That's public domain on Wibby, I think. Um, we need these kind of things because they're looking at how people are using .NET and they're saying, oh, we need to give these guys better tools to use. And, and yeah, great, bring it on. We'll, we'll map it up. It's, yeah. It's, I mean, it's great to keep learning about these technologies, and it's great the fact that these tools keep getting better. So, I, and, and anything that's going to make the software development process, coming back to what we were talking about before, you know, anything that makes the software development process cheaper and also produces better code for your money, then, then excellent. I, I, I think that's great news. Yeah, I, I don't I think do. anybody right. gets into the software development industry to, to kind of not change with the times because it... it doesn't stop changing. Yeah, I agree. We're also going to have uh, Javal Lowy back uh, for a second show, and he's going to talk mm. about the new generic stuff in C Sharp. Mm. Yeah, oh, so he's got a scoop that he's got permission to talk about, so you look for that show. Well, I'll be tuning in today. So we're just about out of time. Are there, is there anything uh, else that you want to tell the world, the listening world? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me at the moment, the thing that I don't really understand enough about um, and that Microsoft's put a lot of money behind your tablet PC. So I'm going to be reaching into my back pocket real soon now to buy myself a tablet PC so that I can play with it. You can, the, the SDK you can download and, and mess around with, but I think to really, to really understand what impact a technology has to have, you kind of have to try it out. So I would say if you haven't, you know, gone out and got yourself a tablet PC or haven't coerced your employer into buying one for you, then it's worth doing just to get an understanding of exactly how software development is going to change to, a, to to really take on board this new platform and make the most of it. So that's my word of wisdom, I would say. Yeah, that's a that's a nice pearl. I would also add to uh, to the listeners thinking about getting a tablet PC to wait and get one that has a Centrino chip because those have uh, are are I suppose have much better power management. Um, yeah, the Centrino chips. I believe Acer has one now, 
And of course, you know, by the time people are listening to this, who knows what's out there in the market? But uh, I wouldn't get an old one. Let's put it that way. They tend to be a bit slow. Well, man, thank you very much for uh, for being a guest. I learned a lot, and and I really appreciate your site .dot net twenty four seven. As I said, I use well, it a lot, and I'm really looking forward to that book. You have a, a prospective title for the book? Um, yeah, the title, the working title is the Consultant's Field Guide to Microsoft .dot net. Nice. Yeah. You're gonna have pictures of birds and stuff, and drawings by Roger Tory Peterson, or uh... yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, the, the pocket PCs and right. This is the red-bellied manager, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> clinging to a tree, whacking his head against it. All right. Well, on behalf of myself and uh, Mark, I know Mark is out there listening, and and thanks a lot to uh, you and and uh, for spending this time with us. And come back oh, again. Thank you very much. It's been fun. All right, Matthew. Take care now. See you later. Bye. Bye.